0: Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not into you. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible Plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com.
1: Hey, you're listening to Into It from Vulture and New York magazine, Special Pride Edition. I'm your host, Sam Sanders, and in case you haven't figured this out yet, I'm gay like, very gay. But, like a lot of queer people, I knew I wasn't straight before I had the words to actually talk about my sexuality. And I came out kind of later in life. As a kid, before I came to terms with all of that, I remember watching stuff, TV and movies, that spoke to me in a really deep way. A really queer way. Movies like Fame... Rocky Horror Picture Show. They were a part of my queer awakening before I even knew to call myself queer. I am obsessed with this. The way that TV and movies and books and music, the way this stuff can speak to our queer identities before we can speak to those identities ourselves.
2: Anyway, it was a time when I really realized something about myself. Well, maybe you didn't realize it right. What do you mean? Well, I mean, everybody
0: falls in love with their analyst. There's a word for that, isn't there?
2: Homosexual.
1: So this episode, in honor of pride, I've asked three of my favorite creatives to tell me the stories of the movie or show or whatever that was a big part of their queer awakening. You're going to hear from actor and producer Lena Waithe.
2: Hello. Oh, here we go. Sorry. Wow. hello.
1: You know her from Master of None and as the creator of The Shy. We'll also hear from Alex Newell, the Broadway star who just won a Tony.
3: I'm feeling lots of emotions about it.
1: And we'll hear from comedian and writer Guy Branham. I'm recording now. I am so excited for y'all to hear this one. So let's just get to it. We'll start with Lena. Happy Pride. For you personally, what was the thing you saw or consumed in the culture early on that kind of helped awaken you (laughs) in that regard?
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, one, I think it's a really great thing to chew on uh, because sometimes when we're watching TV or watching movies, we are looking for ourselves. And if you're queer Mm -hmm. and black, and for me growing up in the 90s, which was such a really, it was a very exciting and interesting time. And I think it mainly because what culture was doing. Culture was really black, really cool, you know, and, but it was also really straight.
1: That's the thing. There were so many black sitcoms in the nineties, Fresh Prince being oh perhaps God. the biggest among them. Yeah. But there were never any gay people
2: ever. No, none. And so I think there was sometimes you would see characters that maybe felt that like they could be queer, but something that was very bold and in my Face in all of our faces was Queen Latifah and set it off. Ah. You know, as Cleo. Don't worry, one day my shit is gonna be tight. Cleo, girl, you've
0: been fixing up this car since seventh grade. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you know Lorenz and them got away with 20 grand?
0: Oh, geez.
2: Damn. See, that's what the fuck we need to do rob a bank. That really that's was, that's it went further than the color purple. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It was. It was before Tasha on The L Word. And for me, it was really interesting because it was a woman who was mask presenting, which we didn't even have that language at the
0: time. I done told you I'm strictly. See, I'm a her. I'm not
3: tell nobody.
1: Let's set up. The film set it off for those who don't know. And if you don't know, that's your loss. This is a damn good movie. I remember yes. watching it so much as a kid. Oh
2: my God, way too much. Come on, I was like a little kid. We watching these movies. I mean, talking about that ending.
1: <laughs> With bank robberies and shootings in it. And I was like 12 watching that movie and loving it. Yes. So how do we describe this film for folks? It is a bank heist movie, but it's for black women.
2: Yes, exactly. The, the film is directed by F. Gary Gray. And... It is basically a story about. It is about four black women, and they're really friends. And they find their backs against the wall in terms of money and in terms of loss. And they just decide to sort of buck the system and start robbing banks to to make money to take care of their children, to get out of their neighborhoods, to have I a new know life. It's too well. What about all them folks' money you taking? Insurance. Don't Look,
1: we just taken away from the system. That's fucking us all anyway.
2: Um, and in doing so it has a very grim ending as, as many people know if you've seen the movie if you haven't seen it be forewarned uh, but it's a film in which Queen plays one of these women her name is Cleo and she's got the cornrows and she's like she's very particular about the music she listens to in these cars Bullshit 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 Fucking bullshit I ain't no joke it's I used to it. let the mic smoke That's the what I brought sure And she's just, you know, she's very aggressive But she's also very funny And very light, you know And and she's very caring And, uh, spoiler alert, she doesn't survive the end of the film But she goes out like a gangster Look, I'll catch up to y'all later, I promise What do y'all do about the money? Just hold on to it Come on She's such an iconic character and such a part of, I think, for queer Black women, particularly if you're a queer Black woman who identifies as sort of more masculine presenting, it is it's a character that really changed all of our lives. And I think we're forever grateful to Queen Latifah for breathing so much life into that character.
1: Yeah. Take me back to when you first saw the movie, Young Lena. What were you like then? Where were you? What was your life like when you first encountered this film and this character?
2: Oh my gosh. It was amazing. I went with my mom and her friend. I went with a couple of my friends. So it was all it was like it was like two generations of black women. And we left that theater. And I remember the theater wasn't packed. It was not a packed theater. but mm-hmm. I just remember being forever changed. It was a guttural movie. I was obviously reeling from what I had just seen. Um, a spoiler alert, three out of the four women don't survive the movie. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's- It kind of
1: tears you up. The ending tears yeah, you up it's for not sure.
2: Like the easiest <laughs> movie. So I'm, I'm reeling from that, but I'm also thinking about Cleo. I'm thinking about Cleo because I'd never mm. seen anyone like her before, but I recognized her. Mm. And of course I'm 13, but, I'm very much a tomboy. There was also a time when I was just getting my hair cornrowed to the back and just wear t-shirts and jeans with cornrows. If I'm not a little young lesbian in train, I don't know what is. <laughs> so, you know, and then seeing her, there was something that normalized me-, me in that image.
1: Yeah, well, because what you see in this movie is she is queer-coded. She has hmm. a girlfriend. Yes. She's kind of mass-resenting, but she is accepted by her yes. other friends. These three Absolutely. other straight women don't love her any differently. She's just part of the group.
3: Every time we get wow. high, you start looking like Sugar Bear.
1: For real. You <laughs> oh, do kind
0: of look like Sugar Bear. Fuck all y'all. Wow.
1: And, exactly. you know, looking back, that was a kind of revolutionary. Oh, they don't huge. make a big point about her being queer. Exactly. They don't linger on it. She's just living her life, and she's their friend
2: yeah and and that is something that I don't we don't think about until now, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. it just seemed like it was, oh, this is just normal, and I think it's absolutely you could definitely see the film's influence on my work, you know, um whether you're looking at something like Queen and Slam, whether you're looking at something like the characters on the Shy, you know, the moms uh, on that sh- like you can see the fact that i I don't want to address the queerness necessarily because exactly. I want the queerness to to be just of the just world. a part of life exactly. And I think that's something I really took away without even knowing I was taking it away.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. What changed for you after you saw that film for the first time with your family? I mean, like with your mother, with your friends, mm-hmm. was it weird to see this queer woman on screen while sitting next to your mother in the theater?
2: You know, it's funny, I because I was at, I was 13, I was sitting a couple rows in front of her, because get that <laughs> point, you know, when you're in your teenage years. It's like, don't, don't sit really next wanna, to me, mom. Yeah, you don't want to sit with your mom or her friend. Uh, so that was really maybe what made it such a more comfortable experience for me. Yeah, Because I was actually flanked by friends, mm. you know, that felt more like cousins, those kind of friends when you're kids. But what was also really cool, and I'm really grateful for this, I say this all the time, I did not grow up in a house that necessarily did denigrated queerness. It didn't acknowledge it but it didn't uh-huh. say it was bad. So uh-huh. it wasn't a topic of conversation in the car at yeah. home. You know, we're all, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a young black girl, you know, my mom and her friend, like black women, you know. So we're just like, what? Did we just witness? And because imagine how that movie still hits today. Yeah. Imagine how hard it hit us, then. you know, for the first time. It was like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like for some people, they remember seeing Star Wars for the first time. Please, I remember seeing Set It Off for the first time. Yes,
1: yes. Okay? Yes. Sorry, Stop looking at you. Clea was a real person in the world. Uh-huh. Uh, and you got to meet her. What's <laughs> the first thing you say to her or ask her?
2: I would say, What you listening to right now?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. She always has a good music playing.
2: What album are you bumping right now? Yes. What, are you, what are you playing? What should I be playing in my car? What the fuck is this? What are you doing? I'm trying to find some mood music. Thing. and then also I would love I'll say what you smoking right now <laughs> are, are we smoking right now can we smoke right
1: yes. now? yes <laughs> yes I would love to be at that party I would love to okay. be at that party yeah, oh my goodness mic. thank you thank you
3: <laughs>
1: thanks again to writer actor and producer Lena Waithe after the break we hear from Tony award-winning actor and singer Alex Newell and their pick for the culture that made them queer. But first, if you like this show, I'm gonna ask you a favor. Tell a friend to listen and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you. So, uh, tell our listeners who you are, what you do, what titles you prefer—all of that. Introduce yourself to our listeners. That's so many things.
3: I don't know where to start. I'm out. <laughs> I've been acting for far too long. I've been singing even longer than that, and I'm, i am I, I, I got nothing else.
1: You're legendary. You're amazing. Yes. Iconic. You got the range. Never Iconic. Never
3: done before. Um,
1: Always snatched. All those things. Oh, all those fair. things. <laughs> um. So the purpose of this conversation is really simple. Uh, in honor of Pride Month, we are talking to queer creatives that we love about the pop culture content that was a big part of their like queer awakening. And so I'm wondering for you and your story and your life, what movie or TV or music or whatever was part of that queer awakening for you?
3: I mean, I, dear God. I do musical theater So that's I think that's like The staple of it all <laughs> um, Yeah Like Broadway In its general Is just a queer fantasia Most days
1: Thank God for it Yeah
3: So I think that's like A big part of it all But like My fate One of my favorite movies Ever is uh, Tee Wong Fu
0: Ready or not Here comes mama
3: And where Is The body Like, I am obsessed with that movie. I've always been obsessed with that movie for a very long time.
2: And where is the body? Move
1: over, mother. We should tell listeners who might not have seen it yet what this movie is about. It's got... Wesley Snipes, and who else? And an Amazing drag. Yeah, it's got Wesley Snipes, John Leguizamo, and Patrick Swayze yes. as drag queens.
3: As drag queens crossing the country on a road trip, and they get stuck in a rural town. And my favorite part about the movie is no one questions anything about the film. Mm. They're not making a mockery of it. They're not. They're not making a mockery of drag. They're not making a mockery of um the experience of it all. It's just their lifestyle and who they are. And I love how precious the actors were with their characters. Maxima, what? We must all help others. How? Take her with us to Hollywood. Say what? Take her with us. Now, how are we gonna do that? Um, sell our plane tickets and the three of us go by bus
1: not on your young queer life. Which was honestly kind of surprising and commendable for that time. It was 1995, and this was before Hollywood was really being nice to queer people. Yeah. Publicly, you know? Yeah. What's your favorite moment in the movie, if you have one?
3: Oh, my goodness. I think my favorite moment is the, uh, the not that sounds crazy, the ending.
1: So this is the scene where the drag queens are stuck in this small town, They've befriended everybody, yeah. And this racist and homophobic cop has finally tracked them down.
3: This town, quite literally, is having this festival, and they, they all say that they're the drag queen. It's like their Caesar, uh, not their Caesar moment. What is Spartacus. it? I Spartacus. I am Spartacus. Moment. Spartacus. I am Spartacus I'm, Spartacus. I'm, I'm Spartacus. I'm the drag queen. I'm a drag queen. I'm a drag queen. I'm a drag queen. That makes me the drag king. <laughs> Hell, I'm a drag queen. Rest
0: us, baby.
3: To um, so make this man feel like shit and finally just leave. What you and so, so, it's it's a beautiful moment this entire community wrapping themselves around them um, because of all the joy and good and life that they brought into this small town. I wouldn't be lying if I were to say that I was really gonna miss you. I mean, I think it's really important for a woman to have lady friends. If we as a society now can get to that everything we're headed in the right direction in the first night you came to town I noticed that you had yourself an Adam's apple
4: didn't you know
3: I know but I'm very fortunate to have a lady friend just happens to have an Adam's apple
1: When you saw it and when you saw these drag queens on screen, did any part of you say, I see some of that in my future? I see queerness in my future. I see playing with gender in my future. I see, like, did any of watching this movie as a kid open up possibility to you in your mind?
3: Maybe, probably. I mean, I think anything that you're watching for the first time does that for you. Anything that is a semblance of you, especially if you're watching someone of color on a screen, opens a thought about that. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. But I, you can't be sure. I think it has contributed. Now, in hindsight, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Which character in Tuang Fu was your favorite, and why?
3: Oh my goodness, (laughs) Um, Maxima. Jackson, um, I believe I am Noxema Jackson. I mind my business in a black way. Don't be looking at me. Noxema. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Don't be giving me none of that bleeding-hard Sally Struthers look. Yeah, I love it. I'll watch your mess. I will watch <laughs> your mess. Mm-hmm. And I will comment on it. But don't ask me hard-hitting questions about it. I'm not going upstairs with you. I ain't driving you no more, Miss Daisy.
1: This is Wesley Snipes' character. How would you describe Noxema Jackson?
3: Outspoken yet still soft. Inquisitive but still reserved.
1: You get asked to be part of a Tuang Fu reboot. You say yes?
3: Um maybe. Maybe you know, I'm not a reboot, I'm
1: not a reboot (laughs) kind of person. Um yeah,
3: we don't need to go back and try to Capture that lightning in a bottle again because nine times out of 10, it doesn't work.
1: Although, I would love to see you as Nagazima, I'll tell you that. I
3: mean, yes, we would all love to (laughs) see it. um, Yeah. Yeah, I I think that 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 story is so beautiful because, yeah, it was just ahead of its time and it did, it served its purpose and it's something that we can keep forever.
1: I mean, now I realize that you
4: gotta take chances. Because you never know, you know what
1: I mean? I mean, what the hell? I'm not going to worry about if people accept me or not. I'm going to make Hollywood wherever I am at. <laughs> well, listen, I'm going to go watch this movie after I'm done with this interview because I'm remembering how much I loved it and how good it is. Um, and there's
3: a whole cameo at yeah. the beginning. What else could you ask for?
2: May I have the envelope, please?
1: What else? It's beautiful stuff. It's beautiful stuff.
3: I don't know who he is, but if there's a snowstorm tonight, he's going on my tires.
1: Thanks again to actor and singer Alex Newell. Also, earlier this month, Alex made history for being the first out non-binary person to win a Tony Award for Best Performance by an Actor in a Featured Role in a Musical. All right, after the break, we ask Guy Branham about the culture that made him say gay. And I share my own story. Guy, tell our listeners who you are.
4: Uh, my name is Guy Branham, and I am a comedian, a writer, and actor currently appearing in Apple Plus's Platonic with Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne.
1: Yes, yes. Also, the author of a famous amazing beautiful lovely book tell folks the name of the book thanks for plugging the
4: book sanders Uh, my book is called my life as a goddess uh and it's a memoir through popular culture so this question you're about to ask me i have answered four or five
1: different times just inside that book so here's the question for you in honor of pride month to put it bluntly what was the pop culture that made you gay what was the movie or TV or music or whatever that was part of your queer awakening? Um, the piece of culture that made me
4: gay is the 1985 film A Room with a View. Oh. So A Room with a View is a, is a movie from 1985. It's a Merchant Ivory adaptation of an Ian e. Forster novel about a girl who loves art too much. She goes to uh, Florence with her maiden aunt, a socially inappropriate boy makes a pass at her, who's far too intellectual. Mm. And then she goes back to England to the boy that she's probably supposed to marry, who's very respectable uh, and very intellectual. And she realizes that she is willing to give up everything that she has class-wise and social status-wise to be with this person
0: that she loves. Forgive me, my dear, but it seems to me that you're in a muddle. Seems to me that the reason you're going to Greece, the reason you've broken off your engagement—yes, Miss Bartlett told me—is that you love George.
4: In the movie, sort of at the heart of it, at the center of it, are is a moment where three guys frolic naked in a pool. Okay,
2: uh, come and have a bathe.
0: Well, I'd like that. <laughs>
4: and it is innocent and fun, but also has actual factual wieners in it.
2: Don't be shy. Why not? Oh, it is wonderful. Simply ripping.
4: And, you know, it was something amazing that I didn't realize I wanted to see, but I very much enjoyed seeing. And it wasn't until decades later when I read the novel that it was based on that I realized Uh this whole story about this woman was like Ian Forster, a queer author, Mm -hmm. writing to tell a story with a queer emotional truth that had been interpreted by James Ivory and Ismail Merchant to a a queer couple who were a producer and director partnership. Um, Hmm. And that all of these queer people were coming to me with a story that was on its face heterosexual. But that was, within it, a story about (laughs) accepting the cost of love. And that that was a lesson that queer people were going to have to learn. Of course, Ah. so frequently queer people have to identify through straight stories. And Mm -hmm. I really love that this straight story pushes aside all of the bigger, dangerous, political questions of queer existence and gets at an emotional question of what risks are you willing to take to be honest with yourself? it
0: <laughs> impossible. There's only one thing impossible. That's to love and to part. Sam, have you ever
4: seen A Room With A View? no i gotta go watch I, it now i cannot recommend it enough but the best thing about the okay. movie, the best thing about the movie uh-huh. is that the character of the maiden aunt the aunt mm-hmm. who clucks her tongue and is judgmental of our heroine uh lucy honeychurch uh-huh. uh cousin uh-huh. charlotte is played by the magnificent um maggie smith
0: oh
3: lucy get dressed dear or the better part of the day will be gone
4: in her first old lady role. This was I. This was her first old lady role, oh. and she will continue to do old lady roles for 40 years afterwards, let's hope 50. But yeah. the hero moment in this story is mm-hmm. given to the old person who pushed aside their own chance of happiness to stay within the culture that they were born into. Like this wow. aunt who had been telling her, no, 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 you can't do this, you can't do this. In the final moment realizes you have to go and be happy. Don't do the thing that I did. We What are
0: you doing? Well, your dear mother most kindly offered to fetch me in her carriage. And I have not been brought up to keep anyone waiting, least of all a kind hostess.
3: Now, where's Lucy? You get in, Charlotte. If Mary's fish pie spoils, you'll moat from night on
0: next Friday.
4: And I just really love that this was a story that was also talking about intergenerational queer responsibility. Yeah. And it was, you know, a bunch of old gay guys telling me, don't wait as long yeah. as I did. You know, like, Ian mm-hmm. e- e. Forster was 38 years old before he had sex. And so there were so many lessons inside of that movie that... I didn't realize were there for me um yeah but it had enough things that a 10 year old at me was able to see like beautiful art and beautiful design and you know beautiful men frolicking in a pool yeah
1: tell me about 10 year old guy seeing this movie for the first time where are you what is your life like take me back
4: So, I mean, this really was the magical period of time when the VCR changed my life. Like I, you know, (laughs) I grew up on an almond farm in rural Northern California. We didn't have cable. We were, you know, only exposed to the most mainstream of culture. And so we had just gotten a VCR like a year or two before that. And my mom had started bringing home stuff that my dad didn't like, that were, um, Mm. you know, Beverly Hills Cop we would all watch together or something like that. But then there were these movies that my mom would watch in the afternoon on a Sunday. And so it was just me and my mom watching. And, you know, my mom had read in a magazine that this movie was supposed to be good. And so... Mm. Uh, It's Helena Bonham Carter in her first real role. Um, It is, you know, a young Daniel Day-Lewis in a complete comedy role. And uh, This is a cast. It's a cast. And also, you don't know who Rupert Graves is, probably, but you watch that movie, you're going to know who Rupert Graves is, because he was real (laughs) fucking adorable. Um, And Julian Sands. And while watching it, it didn't feel at all like it was doing anything outside of the boundaries of what's acceptable, you know, because it was cloaked in sort of, like, Edwardian Englishness, it all felt very respectable. Mm -hmm. But that moment in the pond with them running around, you know, was an act of pre-Raphaelite savagery. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, it was something that I definitely remembered And then when I was in college and I had a VCR of my own, I definitely had a VHS copy that saw a good amount of wear and tear around that minute. Um, But at the time, I didn't even really understand the way it made me
1: feel. What do you think, if you had to sum up, what 10-year-old you took away from that film, what would you sum it up as? I know it's, 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 it's very nebulous, you're that young, you don't really know what you're experiencing, but if there had to be like a summary sentence of what you felt watching that the first time or what you took from it.
4: I have to learn more about this. Like I, mm. I, have, to, I have to follow this path. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, um, I, like I think it was just starting me on a path to finding more stuff that would lead me in the right direction for so many centuries queer people have only been able to communicate with each other in large part through culture. And so much of that has been- And through code, almost. Yeah, cultural code. code. And so it really is about leaving breadcrumbs so that people can find their way to the stuff that Mm. they need to find. Um, Mm. And, you know, if it weren't for A Room with a View, I wouldn't have found Morris, and I wouldn't have found the Swimming Pool Library, and I wouldn't have found so many other- queer thinkers it was you know i i had to find shape to who i was before i would know where to look and i and i had to you know it's so amazing that you have to find this stuff accidentally but it's also yeah. so cool that so many queer thinkers and writers have been doing the work of putting themselves into art so that we can see ourselves
1: yeah I love it. I love it. I'm going to tell you mine. I'm going to tell you mine. Tell me yours. So I grew up obsessed with VH1. And I remember in middle school or high school, I began to like watch Fame and Rocky Horror Picture Show late at night on VH1. And so technically that was a big queer awakening for me. Like, I knew I liked boys by this point, but watching that queerness on screen was like, whoa. But I think my actual queer awakening happened later, and it was Brokeback Mountain. And it was not for me. It was for my mother. So my mother... Uh, was the church organist in our Pentecostal church, which was very strict and it was very homophobic. I remember hearing the word faggot like over the pulpit as a kid, which was ironic because in hindsight, a quarter of the church was obviously queer. And it was a very welcoming place to me, a very visibly queer child, you know, but there was that weird dichotomy. And on the books, the church was like, no gay. And I just knew my entire life that if I ever figured out how to live out my sexuality, it would be away from my home and away from my church and possibly, like, away from my mother. Flash forward to after high school, she gets really sick. She has this massive stroke. She's paralyzed. And for a few years, I'm just taking care of her. And after they send her home from the hospital, we have a lot of time to just, like, sit around and, like, do nothing because she's bedridden and I'm kind of, like, there with her. So we watched a shit ton of movies. And— as this went on, I was like, I wonder how much she'll just watch with me. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, mom, it's time for a movie. You want to watch this one called Brokeback Mountain? And she's like, sure. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I knew it was sexual. And I knew it was gay. But when I turn the movie on, she's in her hospital bed. And I'm just, the whole time, I'm mortified. I'm like, oh, she's going to kill me. They're, like, doing it. This is gay. This is horrible. And the whole time, she's quiet. And I was like, I'm just not even going to look at her because I bet she's like livid. So the movie ends as it ends, we all know. And I'll just peek over to be like, what is her mental state right now? I can't believe I did this. And I look at her and she's weeping. And she looks up at me and she said, I'll never forget it. It was, it was like she was five years old. She, she says, I just don't see why those two couldn't be together. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. And I think for me, that was like my queer awakening because it told me that like, ah, no matter what, you'll figure this out, but like actually your whole family will all be there for you. They'll be there. I mean, they'll figure it out. They'll love you.
4: Did it? Did it feel strange that this person who was part of building the homophobia in your head was more able to understand through this movie than through her son. Because I feel that way a lot, sometimes with, with my own mom of like, why is it this thing and not me?
1: Yeah. It took me a long time to get to a place where I could say about that and about my mother and about church and all of these things, like probably they were just trying the best they could. And then that's the hard part. Yeah. It's it's hard cuz it like, still hurt, you know?
4: Yes, but in, and so much of being a grown up like there's nothing worse than like getting to the age that your parents were at various stages in your own life and being like, "Oh god, I would have made a bunch of dumb mistakes too." And also I yeah. think moms of little gay boys so frequently feel responsible like that, oh, that yeah. this
1: was I must you know, protect you or I did this myself. Was right. it me?
4: Exactly. Right. And I think there is something so important about outside culture telling them, helping them come to a place of understanding that it wasn't a failure and it wasn't a mistake and all of that. And I've, I've, I've been stunned by the way that, dumb, like, I made, when Brookback Mountain came out, I made my parents go and see it. And, like, oh. I, I, you know, um, it was a struggle. To get them there, but then of course they were able to see the movie without all of that weight that comes with your own child, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And it, it's it's been interesting and lovely to see the ways that culture has helped my mom, you know, like open up and be able to to see the world that I live in.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and I think it's like I just realize the older I get and like after having been in therapy for a few years now, it's like most of us don't really know how to communicate well. We know how to perform communication. Yeah. We know how to perform listening, but we're not actually trained how to communicate well about the hard stuff. And that's why it's so beautiful when films like A Room with a View or Brokeback Mountain can, like, step in and fill that gap. We don't—it takes us a long time to actually learn how to talk about our own sexuality, especially when we're queer. And so it's just like, well, thank God for these things. Thank God for these things. And it's like, I don't think I even had an actual conversation with my mother about my sexuality for another decade or more. But I knew from that viewing of that movie that at whatever point that conversation happens, she'll be ready and I'll be ready, too. Yeah. Thanks again to comedian and writer Guy Branham and to all the people who appeared in this episode, Lena Waith and Alex Newell. Alright, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman, Jelani Carter, and Taka Zinn. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder and the executive producer of audio at Vox Media, Nishat Kurwa. Alright, listeners, we are back on Friday with a brand new episode. Till then, go watch Fame and Rocky Horror Picture Show. Trust me, they're good. Okay, bye. Happy Pride.
0: Hi.